I want to talk to you about a subject. Uh, we just had our missions conference. It's that missions conference time of year. It's March. No, it's not. It's April. But it was March. And March is kind of our missions. It's when we, as a body of believers, as a church, for 38 years now, we have kind of taken the third week of March or thereabouts, and we kind of all look at missions again. Now, I know that many of you, as I do, Pray for those folks all year long. I mean, I, I'm on it. I pray for their families. I pray for their, I read the letters that are up on the board there. I pray for those folks, uh, special needs they have. Uh, you really kind of feel like you know them. Uh, some of them, of course, uh, are fabulously successful, it seems like, having tremendous results. Others are sowing in tears without a whole lot of results. We know that that was true with that iron judgment. We know it was true with William Carey. We know it was true with some other missionaries in the past. So it doesn't surprise me that some of those missionaries are working real hard and not having a whole bunch of visible results because God doesn't work like we work. And the results on the two men I mentioned about William Carey and Adam Judson really came after they were dead or almost gone, began to have results. Seven years before the first convert, and they were working. And so it can happen to us here at Gospel. We do the bus ministry, whether we get big numbers or small numbers. We go door to door, whether we have good results or don't have good results, because we're told to go in the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. We're not told, do it if you get good results. Do it if it's convenient. Do it if you don't sweat. We're just told to do it. And man, I want to face God someday, having been in some degree, faithful to what he's asked me to do. Why missions? Who cares about missions? I meditated for literally through the years about missions. I, I think anybody and everybody, I think we're symbiotic. I think nobody, nobody's like this. Uh, we're symbiotic. We're cyclical as creatures. And, and we have our, our, we come and go a little bit. And sometimes we're real enthused about something. Sometimes we're not enthused at all about it. I don't think we should look at that like that's real strange. I think we should look at it as, as part of our cyclical nature. It's part of our symbiotic nature. Women, of course, very cyclical. Men, steady as a rock. But, uh, you know, we cycle around. And uh, I think in missions, it can be that way. Sometimes the church will get re-excited about missions. They'll raise a bunch of money, have big faith promise, and then, you know, the kind of, because they've been doing it for years and 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 years, they kind of want to get wane on that. Let's not wane on this. 
Let's, let's stay as excited about, listen, the lost souls out there today are just as lost as they were when we started the program in 1980. Uh, they need help. We're trying to give them help. And sometimes the devil will try to discourage you about the quality of the missionaries. Well, they're not the quality, but, but they're willing to go and preach the gospel, and they got a mission board behind them, folks sometimes working with them, and, and more than all that, God's with them because God wants them to go. I'm excited. Uh, we had uh, Jeff Bush. I like Jeff Bush. I don't know what it was about that old boy, but I liked him. It was just something by it. seemed like a, um, if, if there is such a thing, you can have somebody that's kind of of, of the same heart. That was Jeff. Uh, by the way, he's part of Marco Polo. But anyway, uh, he we're of the same heart, and and uh, he, he they've got a, up in that church. They got over in, in their mission board there that the church represents. They have over forty couples. They're in the mission field. Mostly, he said in their twenties. And he's excited about what's being done. I'll tell you, it'll make a difference. Why missions? Why can't Christians believe what they want to and just leave others alone to believe what they want to? That's the question people ask. When asked why missions, Jack Hiles years ago, young man asked him, why be a fundamentalist? Why be, an old, why be a Bible preacher? Why be a fundamentalist? Brother Hiles thought a little bit. And he asked the kid a question. You know, Jesus did that. He, they would ask him a question, and he'd ask him a question. With, he'd answer the question with a question. I like that. Brother Hiles looked at the kid and he said, Is there a hell? Is there a hell? Is it real? Is it eternal? Is it a place that the lost are going to spend eternity without hope? Is there a hell? I don't know of a more motivational reason to obey the will of God and to be excited about evangelism and missions in this case than the fact there is a hell. Guy on the way out, some man on the way out this morning says, it's been a pleasure to be with gospel this morning and hear the preaching, a little, uh, some preaching on, on the subject of hell. He says, you just don't hear that in churches anymore. I hate to hear that, folks. I hate to hear that because it's part of the Bible. I mean, you don't concentrate on hell every day and talk about it every day, and that's all you talk about. But, brother, it should be part of what you talk about. It should be part of what motivates you. I'll tell you, more people are saved in the surveys I've taken. More people are saved because they don't want to go to hell than are saved because they want to go to heaven. You can ask almost any crowd, and there'll be a majority of people were saved because they did not want to go to hell, and they knew if they died without Christ, they'd go to hell. Rather than that group that says, oh, I wanted to go to heaven. I wanted to be with God. Now, there are people who get saved like that. I'm for it. Does the Bible really say in Revelation 21, 8, but the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death? Does it really say that? Does the Bible really say in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, that the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever? Does the Bible really say in Revelation chapter 14, verse 9, the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in their forehead or in his hand, 
The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture, and there was full strength, into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. That's a strange, strange passage. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. And here's the most chilling part of this is, and they had no rest day nor night, who worshiped the beast in his image, who served received the mark of his name. The very fact that those who take the mark of the beast suffer in an eternal conscious torment that they did no rest indicates that that is something that God has decided to do. There's people who say God, a loving God would never do that. Well, when you see him, argue with him. But all I can tell you, anything we know about God, we get from the Word of God. Of course, there's other methods we get. We get a little bit from nature and revelation thing. But as far as the Bible's concerned, brother, there is a hell to be shunned and a heaven to be gained. And it, it, it literally demands our devotion that we take not our hand off the plow and look back, that we keep plowing, doing that which God has asked us to do. And don't give, is it true? Is it true that Jesus, sweet Jesus, spoke in Mark chapter 9, 43 through 48, and if the hand offend thee, cut it off, it is better for thee to enter in life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm, now, I want you to their worm. That means a worm designated for you. He's got, he, he's got an, the people who go to hell have worms designated for them. Their worm dieth not. Fire is not quenched. Three times in that short passage, he said it would be better to have your hand cut off, better to have your foot cut off, better to pluck your eye out than it would be to go to this place. Is it true? That Jesus said that? Is it true that Jesus spoke of hell 12 out of the 19 times it is mentioned in the New Testament? Is it true that John and Jesus, John the apostle of love, between the two of them, they speak 17 out of the 19 occurrences of the subject of hell in the New Testament are spoken by Jesus and John, the apostle of love. People may want to say you're unloving because you're out there trying to tell people Jesus saves and you need to escape the, the horrors of hell. But brother, you're as loving as Jesus is. You're as loving as John, the apostle of love was. Why missions? Because there's a hell. And people are going to go there. Why missions? Because there's a heaven, and people can go there. Does Jesus really say he's going to build a mansion for those who trust in him? you believe that tonight? You know, sometimes, because I'm a symbiotic creature, that's my favorite word tonight now, because I'm a cyclical creature, I want to get down once in a while. Have you ever been depressed? I've rarely been depressed, but I have once in a while. What do I do when I'm depressed? Wallow in the mire? No. I go to John chapter 14. 
where Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. But Lord, I am troubled. He said, let not your heart be troubled. But I am. You believe in God? I do. Believe also in me. I do. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And I'm start feeling better. A little bit better. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. In other words, as sure as the sun came up this morning, Jesus is going to welcome you into your place. When I go to heaven by the grace of God, through the mercy of God, I'm not going to stay in my wife's place. I'm going to stay in my place. That Jesus is made for me. Amen? Because if she came in, it won't be decorated quite right. I know, and that's no criticism. Because we're so different from each other. Amen? I mean, trying to choose Carver for this auditorium has turned into being a monumental project. Why? Because we got you folks to think about. If it was just me, I'd choose it. We'd have had it in here and been done. But we're thinking about you. And even when we go to all of our gymnastics, we know half of you ain't going to like it. It's okay. You don't have to be here a few hours a week. Is there a place called hell? Yes. Is there a place called heaven? Yes. Are there real streets of gold in heaven? There are. Now, is, is there such a place as the New Jerusalem to gain? There is. Is there a place where there's literally no more pain? There is. I don't know how many people here have had the gout, and I'm not trying to say it's the worst pain you could possibly feel, but I can tell you this. You can't lay a sheet. The weight of a sheet is agonizing. I know, I know, Mario, you look at me and say, how is that possible? I hope you never know. I met a fellow gout sufferer the other day. How do you know if he's legit? Because he said, you know what? I couldn't even lay a sheet on my foot. And I said, you're real, brother. We're brothers. It's like meeting a guy that has a Harley. I mean, we're brothers. You meet a guy that has a Honda? What do you mean a Harley, brother? I love you anyway. We tolerate you. Is there such a thing as a place of no pain? Is there a place where peace rules and harmony rules? Why missions? Because hell's hell, and it's real. Heaven's heaven, and it's real. Why missions? Because there's a plan of salvation that promises us freedom from sin. We got the greatest news ever to pass over the lips of man. I have no greater joy than what I was able to do this morning. I literally have no greater joy than to be able to go in front of a bunch of folks that haven't heard a clear plan of salvation and give them a clear plan of salvation. That is simply the best joy. It's better than catching lobster, shooting fish, name something, catching bass while they're bedding, name, catching 100 shell crackers in an hour, name something you can go out there and do that you like, killing a big deer, doing whatever. I just thought I never mentioned anything women like to do, do they? That's because I have no idea what women like to do. 
I can tell you, being able to being able to share the gospel with a soul that is is there to hear. Oh my, is that great? That's just that's just a happy day, happy day. Jesus took my sins away. He taught me how to watch and pray and live rejoicing every day. Happy day, happy day. Jesus took my sins away. Man, folks, when you catch that, anybody that says I'm going to go to uh, Mozambique, I'm going to go to uh, Nicaragua, I'm going to go down to Argentina, I'm for it. Get down there and start passing tracks out. Get down there and start telling people about Jesus. Get down there and start. Now, sometimes, I know, sometimes that the, the amount of support that they raise up is, 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 I think, bigger than what they really need. But And most of the time, they never even reach that number. And they'll go out with maybe a third less than that number. And praise God, they still go. Because those people, money or no money, they want to go. Why missions is a plan of salvation. Can all my awful sins really be washed as white as snow? Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. Though they be red like crimson. Can, they, can my sins, which are so many, be totally and absolutely forgiven, not to be brought to my attention, not to be remembered again, cast into the deepest? Is that possible? Yes. Yes. You know it's true. Why missions? Because there's a plan of salvation. Because there's a verse that says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Why missions? Because there's rest in Christ. Let me say this. There's no other message in the world that will help these people but Jesus. Muhammad's not going to help them. He's just going to bind them. The, the, the definition of religion is to bind. Christianity will set people free. It'll give them a new life. It'll give them an abundant life. Why missions? Because there's a hell. Why missions? Because there's a heaven. Why missions? Because there's such a thing as the gospel of Jesus Christ. A true missionary never gets used to the sound of a heathen footsteps on their way to a Christless eternity. Oh. I've known some folks that died and went to hell. I can't even imagine. But I can guarantee if any one of them were allowed to come back, they'd be a wild, red-faced Baptist preacher Scream and don't go there. You'd have an enthusiasm for a new a new kind of enthusiasm. I've heard people say, why can't Christians put away their jungle hats, missionary mentality, relax in the fact that everyone has a right to believe whatever they believe about God? The world says missionary mentality is the height of cultural arrogance. To go to somebody else's country and attempt through trickery, food, or medical treatment to capture souls for Jesus, presumes that the guy with the travel budget and the hypodermic needle has a spiritual edge over the native he's going to save. You know who said that? Frank Zappa. Oh, I got you on that. Frank Zappa, he's in hell now. Frank doesn't believe that anymore. Frank's like, Frank's like that rich, young, rich ruler, that the, the rich, rich man of Lazarus. Oh, if you could just reach your finger in the water and give me a drip of water, just a drop of water. 
Doesn't make any difference you're a rock and roll star. Doesn't make any difference what songs you wrote. Doesn't make any difference how famous you were. Doesn't make any difference how many houses you owned. Doesn't make any difference how much paper you stacked up in a bank. Doesn't make any difference that people knew who you were when you're in hell. A place of blackness, a place of darkness. No. Why missions? Because there's a great commission. If we had nothing else, if we didn't know about hell, if we didn't know much about any of this rest I mentioned, Jesus said, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Our commander-in-chief has given us an order. Get out there and make it happen. Well, you know, I haven't been called to go, but I've been called to help people go. Amen. Why missions? Is Jesus really coming again? Is he coming again? He's coming again. And the door on the opportunity is going to be shut. See, when Jesus Christ comes, there's going to be a door shut, an opportunity shut. Why missions? The Bible really true? People believe what it says, that people before us died for this book? Have they suffered for it? They have. Why missions? Lastly, are people really dying? Without Christ, it's been said there, and the research that I've read, there's been there's over 1,250 language groups that still do not have the New Testament in their native tongue. There are literally hundreds of thousands of villages and small cities that do not have one gospel witness still, according to the latest statistics that I was able to find. Why missions, brother? O.V.L. Martin was a missionary pastor that I worked with the first six months this church existed. I used to golf with him. I'm not a golfer, but because he golfed, I golfed. All I did was I got my money's worth, 10 strokes per hole. You get your money that way, dog. You know, it's, not like the, it's not like pastor here only shoots three and four shots per hole. You don't get your money on that, dog. I mean, I had that nine, ten shots per hole. The guys that follow me wanted to throw me off the course. I threw my bag in the water one time. Problem was, I had to go back and get it. Got my car keys in it. I'm waiting this deep to find my stuff. And you know who came? The patrol, the Gestapo, the golf course Gestapo comes over and says, What are you doing? In the lake. I said, well, I got to pick up something in here. And when I came out of the water with water, just rolled off me. My pockets were full of golf balls. <laughs> now you know why I don't ask you to go, brother. I, had, I was there picking. I was the golf ball there, golf ball there. I have a pocket stuffed full of golf balls coming out of there. He said, what are those? I said, well, there were golf balls in the water. He said, those aren't your golf balls. They belong to the course. He said, I don't ever want to see you back at this course. V.L. Martin and I played together. And he, he was the kind of a guy, brother, you'd love V.L. He, by the way, he was a great golfer. And, and I'd putt, and he said, no sadder words of tongue or pen than it's your turn again, my friend. I mean, a guy was poetic. 
you know, I'd, I'd uh, get on the green in seven and four, three, four putt. You go pass the hole, pass the hole, pass the hole, pass the hole. Finally, just take it, put it in. That's it. We're in. I'd have to get right with God every time. It was horrible. I had to quit. Let me read you this little thing, and I'll quit. He says, William Carey had to overcome great odds to obey the call of God. In the, in the uh, pamphlet written by Oswald Smith called The Challenge of Life, he noted that even the directors of the East Indian India Mission Company, East India Company opposed Carey's work. Following is the idiotic resolution they presented to Parliament. Here it is, I quote, The sending out of missionaries into one eastern possession is the maddest and most extravagant, most costly, most indefensible project we have ever been suggested by a moonstruck fanatic. But that moonstruck fanatic was William Carey. Sometimes you get the idea that back then those people were better. Uh, no. Smith added, in 1796, the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland passed the following infamous resolution. To spread the knowledge of the gospel amongst barbarians and heathens seems to be highly preposterous. One speaker in the House of Commons said that he would rather see a band of devils let loose in India than a band of missionaries. Such was the opposition to mission work when Carey set forth. And yet he was able to write, Why is my soul disquieted within me? Things may turn out better than I expect. Everything is known to God, and God cares. And William Carey stood the test and became the father of modern missions, self-taught cobbler. Folks, I hope you pray about missions at gospel. I'm burdened for missions at gospel. Let me tell you, V.L. Martin told me, he said, if, you're, if a church is mission-minded, it is a, is a church that pleases God Almighty, and He'll bless you, and He'll provide what you need, and He'll help you, and He'll be for you. Brother Bill, I, you, I know you're, you're just there as an assistant pastor, but he said if you have anything to do about it, make sure gospel is mission-minded. I don't think a church can call themselves right with God unless you're mission-minded. Why do we give the hallway our most visible place in this whole building to people who come in here. We give that hallway mostly to the missionaries. Why? Because what, what does that scream? We care about lost folks. That's what it screams. That hall screams. We care about the lost. We want to get behind everybody and anybody that wants to go out there and spread the good news. Lord willing. May God help us. May God help us. Father, we pray tonight for the Spirit of the living God. We pray that the Word of God would go forth powerfully. Forgive us. Sometimes where we've waxed, I mean, waxing is great, but the waning is not so good. Lord Jesus, help us. Bless us. Help us to, to have your heart on the dear Lord. I, I feel like I'm preaching tonight. I feel like I'm preaching tonight for lost people. And I'm standing in the gap for them, making the hedge up for them. 
I'm representing the guy out somewhere where these missionaries want to go who's going to hear about the gospel if they go. I feel like I'm, I'm in the gap for him saying, hey, by the grace of God, let's get him on the field. Let's help him. Let's pray for him. But not just financially. No. Let's pray for him. Let's bathe him in prayer. Write him. Email him. Keep him encouraged. Contact him. Phone call him. Be actively engaged with them. Father, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. If you would like to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, why don't you do it right now? It's simple, really. Here's a couple of Bible verses that'll help you to understand. Probably the most well-known verse in all of Scripture is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That verse says, whosoever believeth. The whosoever is you. But the whosoever believes what? Number one, you need to understand that you are a sinner. God says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Number two, you need to understand that nothing that you can do, getting baptized, belonging to a church, going to a church, donating money, while all good things, they will not satisfy a just God. God says in Titus 3.5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to God's mercy, he saved us. And number three, you need to understand that Jesus died for your sins. He was buried and resurrected the third day. And if you believe that, God promised in Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Your prayer of confession could go like this. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner unworthy of your mercy, but ask for your mercy and your forgiveness. I know I can't get to heaven on my own, but I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He was buried and resurrected the third day that I might be saved and have a new life. Save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you ask Jesus to save you, would you do me a favor? Let us know so that we can pray for you and rejoice with you. Our church phone is 239-947-1285. The website is www.gospelbaptistchurch.com or go to iTunes podcast at gospelbaptistchurch.com.